Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting now for nearly 30 years. This week, as we get back on track after my vacation, I want to do a few shoutouts, chat about my metal detecting this week, and we discuss swinging. Hey everybody, before we start, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoyed the show this week. But before we begin, I want to give you the following information. If you want to give me feedback or interact with the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at Detecting the, or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. Or if you want to pop me an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. And now, if you would like to leave me a voicemail, please do so on SpeakPipe.com forward slash The Metal Detecting Show. The link will be in the show notes. If you would like to buy me a coffee, you can actually do so now with buymeacoffee.com forward slash metal detecting. And lastly, and most importantly, if you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Hey everyone, I hope you're getting down and dirty detecting this week. This week, I hit a beach while on vacation. I had planned hitting the beach that was closest to me, but the tides were all out of sync with my plans, and I have to admit, I did contemplate leaving it off, but I asked myself, what advice would I give you guys? And of course, the advice I would give would be to look for a better option, even if you do have to drive a bit to get to it. So I did a quick Google search of the county's most popular beaches and found a great site, only another 30 minutes drive away. So I hit that beach for a nice few hours detecting, finding a wide range of targets, including enough change to get me a coffee and a donut on the way home. But top finds were a tungsten ring and a chicken penny from the early 1900s. During the hunt, an elderly lady approached me and I thought, OK, here we go, another hater. But I was very surprised when she was very knowledgeable about the hobby and the plight of metal detectors in Ireland and asked me, did I happen to go and do any mudlarking on the River Thames? And of course I hadn't, but I was delighted to have experienced the conversation. She did give me a tip that I would find very little on the beach prior to the early 1900s because prior to that the area was extremely poor with little interaction from high society, as she put it. And true to her word, the earliest thing I did find was that chicken penny from the early 1900s. In other news, I have received the second Pfizer vaccine, with no adverse side effects. Only now I can see sounds and smell colours. But that means I can get on with looking for permissions this summer, as the last two were a washout due to COVID. Before we move on to the main topic, I want to give a few shout outs to the following few people that have reached out to the show, either offering topics for conversation or to highlight some great content for me to check out. So starting with Blake Harder, who is in regular contact with the show with funny anecdotes and topics for us to discuss or questions to ask. So officially, thanks, Blake. I love receiving your emails. A shout out goes to Chris Johnson, who emailed me recently while on vacation to let me know that the podcast website hadn't linked to the last few episodes, which thankfully I got back up today. So many thanks again, Chris. Shout out to Vespa Trixie, just because it's a great name and a great suggestion to do a full episode on breaking down discrimination, which I will put on the roster for a future episode. And a final shout out this week to Andrew from Miller's Detecting on YouTube. 
Andrew, who has messaged me a few times over the weeks, has a great little YouTube channel that he does with his dad. It's really good, so check them out. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's early days for them on YouTube, but watch out for them. They're going to do some great stuff. So on to this week's topic of swinging. No, not that type of swinging, you dirty mingers, but swinging your detector. Firstly, to start with a point of note, your detector should dictate the shape of your swing. What I mean here is how your detector's functions perform. For example, if it has a subpar or slow response in recovery, you may want to slow down your swing. But more on that later. But just remember, your detector dictates your swing. For example, the MindLab Quattro was notorious and needed a slow and low swing to make sure nothing was missed. Most beginners start off with the classic banana or pendulum swing where the ends of the swing are rising away from the ground with zero overlap and a swing that looks like they are throwing the coil from side to side as fast as possible while zigzagging across a field, leaving everything behind and then declaring that this field has nothing on it. I've done it to death. We have all done it and adapted, but some still do it. Now, I suppose let's talk about what a perfect swing looks like. A perfect swing occurs where the coil head floats as close to the ground as possible while remaining parallel to the ground from the start of the swing to the end of the swing. It also must overlap with the previous swing. The easiest way to keep the coil parallel is to almost shuffle from foot to foot using your hips to help rotate and maintain the position. It's hard to describe, but a simple YouTube search reveals hundreds of videos on the topic. Now, Blake, who I mentioned early, did ask me, does the coil type make a difference to the level of overlap required? And to be honest, I had never thought about it to that level. But I imagine as a double D coil, sweet spot is where the two coils overlap at the full diameter of the coil, the requirement to overlap would be less than, say, a concentric coil, whose sweet spot tends to be in the shape of a cone tapering to somewhat of a point, meaning that there would be a requirement to move or have more of an overlap to account for the taper in the sweet spot. Now, if you want my honest opinion here, I think it's hard enough to remember to overlap on each swing consistently that to be aware if it's a half overlap or one third overlap might be a step too far and start falling into the realms of diminishing returns. Just overlapping should be good enough. The speed of the swing, like I said previously, will be dictated by your detector. But a good test to do is put down a bottle cap on the ground and swing your detector in all metal mode over the target at the rate you normally hunt at if the signal is in any way iffy. Remember, this is an essentially an air test, which I hate, but which tests the detector in the best environment possible, which serves a purpose here. Anyways, if the target signal is in any ways iffy, you need to slow down your swing till you can hear the bottle cap fully and resoundingly. Another test is to swing the coil over your bare ground with no target and your threshold volume up full so that you can hear it very obviously. If when you swing your coil and your threshold is nulling out even though there is no target there, then you are swinging too fast. What happens is the detector cannot read the phase shift from the ground balance and is nulling out the received signal. And believe it or not, 
the ground type can have a bearing on your swing speed as well. If the ground is hot, as in mineralized, then you should adjust your swing speed down to let your detector account for the ground balance easier. So the ideal swing is parallel to the ground from start to finish, slow enough as dictated by the capability of your detector and must overlap with the previous swing path as best you can. The length of your shaft <coughs> has bearing also. Too often do you see people with the shaft at full length, waving it from side to side, trying to maximize coverage. It doesn't work like that. You will just accelerate the rate at which you fatigue at. The best way to set your shaft length is to adjust the length till the coil can sit approximately 24 inches in front of your feet while allowing your elbow to bend slightly. If set up incorrectly, you are setting yourself up for carpal tunnel in your elbow or wrist, which can put you out of action for years. So be careful, you don't want to get this, resulting in you needing one of the many accessories on the market to help you balance the weight of the swing to reduce injury. I myself had a harness for a few years to help with the CTX weight. However, I got rid of it once I saw a picture of my accentuated belly looking like a butcher-tied piece of pork. So, to wrap up, firstly, your swing and pace should be comfortable, but should also match the detector's capability with the shaft set at an appropriate length, parallel to the ground with some overlap. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. It's a fundamental basic skill that needs to be efficient. A good swing can increase your sight coverage and ultimately increase your wins. That's it for this week. I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Check out our website, www.metaldetectingshow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Actually, if you want to buy me a coffee, you can do so now at buymeacoffee.com forward slash metaldetecting. If you'd like to leave me a voicemail, please do so on speakpipe.com forward slash the metal detecting show. The link will be in the show notes. And if you feel like taking your appreciation to the next level, feel free to leave me a positive review on any podcast directory of your choice. If you like this content and would like more, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We will chat to you all again next week. Get out there, eyes down and happy hunting.